if I were God, fill in the blank. I hear a couple chuckles because I think we like to play that game a lot. From the really big things in our life to the very mundane things in our life. If I were God, my, my favorite college football team would have won a couple more titles by this point in my lifetime. If I were God, this disease wouldn't exist. If I were God, this natural disaster wouldn't strike. If I were God, how would I deal with sin? That starts to get a little tricky, doesn't it? If I were God, how would I deal with, with, with sin and sinners? And, and what would that look like? Would I have to reward evil with evil? Would I turn a blind eye to it and act like it doesn't exist and kind of hope that it, that it sort of just goes away? Today in, in our reading from Romans that we're going to go through verse by verse, we're going to see how God deals with, with sin. And that although it might be somewhat uncomfortable for us to, to think about and to talk about, the reality is, is, is that there, we get two words in and we've already got shivers up and down our spine. The wrath of God. But as we go through this, brothers and sisters, there's something very unique about this text that I, I really want, want you to understand kind of out of the gates. And that is, God is not talking to people who are struggling against sin here. He's not talking about the people that are engaged in the struggle. We, two weeks ago, we had that conversation in Romans chapter 7 about people that, that go through life, about how every single one of us goes through life struggling against sin, but that's not at all what, what God is talking about here. He's talking about folks that are content in sin, who are content in their rebellion against God, who are content with the fact that the relationship between God and them has been destroyed, and they have no desire, no intentions of fixing it. And so as we go through this, brothers and sisters, I, I want you to know that, that God in some of these places, you, you might look at this and you go, I don't know if God is really talking about me here. You might hear some of, some of the phrases being read and you might go, yeah, that, that just ain't me. But even as we go through this and we see how God, God deals with sin and deals with, with people who reject him, please know that there are plenty of warnings that, that exist here for us as well. Let's dive in to Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Over these next verses, we're going to see sort of a, a bit of a step-down effect. How God starts in this one place of, of them maybe being completely ignorant of God or, or at least slamming their eyes shut to him. But we're going to slowly move into to maybe a darker and deeper pit. But here is where we start, and that is Paul laying the baseline here. If people do not see God in this world, then they are missing something that is clear. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. He is talking about people who suppress the truth. Who know that God is out there but want nothing to do with them. 
Paul continues, he says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Sort of an, another step down, people becoming even more and more intentionally oblivious to who God is and, and what he's done. Over the last uh, few months, more than a few of you have come up to me and, and talked to me and said, look, when you have that baby, if there's ever been a doubt in your mind that God exists, that doubt is going to go away pretty quick. That you can't see the miracle of, of birth, the miracle of life, and go, yeah, I, don't, I just don't see it. it. It's something I look forward to. But the reality is, there are people that see the miracle of life and they don't see God. They don't see God's hand in, in the middle of all that's being done there. They see the mountaintops, the, the grand beauties that God has created on this earth, and they go, you know what? I don't see it. The air that they breathe, the water that they drink, the fact that a brain is able to, to work so beautifully together to keep, to keep this, this sack of meat alive... They say, I don't see it. I don't believe it. And what God is saying here is that that is going against, against what he has clearly shown them. His eternal power and his divine nature. This is called the natural knowledge of God. It is what every single person is built with. And if they do not believe that there is a God, what it is to say is that they have suppressed that knowledge. They have taken something that was built into them and pushed it to the side. And not only did God give us nature to tell us that he exists. He gave us a conscience. Something that, that at a very base level understands the difference between morality and immorality. Decency and, and, and depravity. Righteousness and unrighteousness. And even at that. People are willing to balk. And say that does not exist. Good and evil in and of themselves do not exist. No, but then, then we dig a little deeper here. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave, him thanks, gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. These verses just continue to take us a couple more steps down. Now this person knows about God, knows who God is, and still says, you are not worth my thanks or my glory. This one maybe hits a little closer to home for some of us. We can understand frustration with God. We, we all probably at one time or another get frustrated with, with God himself. But this goes even a little bit further it is not to talk about a moment of frustration. It is to look at God, see what he has done in this world, look at all of the blessings that he has given to us, and to say, you don't deserve thanks for that. Hurricanes, God, how could you? Cancer, God, how dare you? To look at the, the work of God and say, there is nothing about what you do in this world that deserves my glory and my thanks. It is not God that is darkening our hearts or their hearts in that moment. It's the people themselves. 
And we see that, that hole just get a little bit deeper and deeper. In verse 22, Paul writes, Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal being, mortal human being, and birds and animals and reptiles. Another step down. There are people in this world that see the intelligence of God revealed to us in his word. And you just go, no, thank you. I know smarter people than the word of God. Podcasters, celebrities, scientists, they all have something to say. And, and while we might not create images that look like reptiles, we do have those things that we we create in our life those people that we allow to take root in our life where we say, you know more than God. So that when they say something about the world and God in his word says something about the world, this group of people that Paul is talking about say, yeah, they're right. And God is just full of foolishness and anger. But the hole gets even deeper. And we get to verse 24, and it says, Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Does that hit the ear wrong? Did you expect Paul, instead of writing, God gave them over, did you expect him to write something like, and God chased them down relentlessly, went after them with the truth, and wouldn't stop until he got them back? Perhaps. But think about how that has gone so far for these people who have seen the truth of God revealed to them over and over and over again and who have said, I don't want anything to do with that. And so God takes a different tactic. I was watching a documentary about three years ago and it was on somebody who was dealing with, uh, with incredible uh, drug abuse, uh, a drug addiction uh, the, the young man was addicted to heroin, and, and it was kind of being told by his parents. And it started out as a, as a heroin addiction, and, and he was spending some of his money on it. And his parents obviously knew it was a problem, and so they pulled him aside and said, Hey, look, son, we love you. You have a problem. We need to take care of this. Brushed him off. And so he was no longer spending some of his money on, on drugs. He started to spend all of his money on drugs, and they confronted him again, said, you, you lost your job, you've lost everything in your life. We need to figure this out. But he decided to dig even deeper. And so he moved back in with his parents, and then when he noticed that his mom and dad had a little money lying around, he would ask them, hey, can I have money to go out and buy groceries? And sure enough, what would he buy? Drugs. But then when they said, no, 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 no we, can't, we can't continue to enable, he goes, okay, that's fine. I will steal the money. And so he began to steal from his parents. And it got to a point where the, the, the young man was, had stolen his mother's car in order to sell it so that he could have money for drugs. The reason I tell that story is because his mom and dad at a certain point got to the point where they said, you know what? No matter how many times we gently sit down and have this conversation, it's clearly not what is going to work right now. We've got to let him hit rock bottom. That's sort of what we're seeing from God here. 
he allows people to hit rock bottom so that they really understand what their rebellion is going to cause in their life. And Paul is oddly specific about the sin. He talks about the degrading of one's body with sexual sins. And you might wonder, why, why does he go there? And I think the easiest answer is because that is a quick and easy way for humanity to rebel against God. To say, God, I know you are my creator. I know you've given me my body. But because I don't love you and I don't care about what you have to say, I will use this thing that you have given to me however I please. Yeah, it's those, those acts of rebellion as they take sex outside of marriage and and, and they, they, they call relationships that, that are not God-pleasing, God-pleasing. Yeah, brothers and sisters, we could, we could point and we could say, how could you? But that's not at all why Paul is writing this in Romans. Paul is writing a warning. He is writing a warning that says God takes sin seriously. And that when we play with fire, there is a chance that at some point we are going to get burnt. That we are going to slide down these steps and go from not really caring too much about what God says all the way down to open and willful rebellion against him. And he says, don't even start the descent. Learn about me. It takes us down to, to verse 25, the last verse of our, of our reading. And Paul writes, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And worshiped and served created things rather than the creator, who is forever praised. Amen. This is rebellion in its simplest way. Taking the truth, that loving, beautiful truth that God has given to mankind in nature, in conscience, and yes, in the revealed word of God, and trading it in. And saying, you know what, instead I'm, I'm going to take the rebellion. I'm going to take the sin. And as I say that, brothers and sisters, I pray that, that you go, you know what, though, pastor? That ain't me. I pray that that's the case. And may we continue to pray over and over and over again, Lord, never, never, never allow me to go down that path. But maybe from these verses, we can grab a couple of warnings. That although it might not be us who are, are being described here, thank you, Jesus, for that. There are a few warnings here. One, God's calling us not to defend sin. It's easy for us when we have people that we love in our lives to want to do absolutely everything to defend them. Whether we do that to, to people around us or we just try to defend them in our own consciences. God is saying it is not going to help you and it is not going to help them if you take the time and defend your sin or defend their sins. It doesn't help. Warning number two. He says, don't scoff at the weeds. That's all too easy to do, isn't it? To sit in our lives and go, you know what though? That's not me. Thank you, Lord, that's not me because I'm a pretty good guy. Because I'm a pretty good lady. Brothers and sisters, if not by the grace of God, we would be weeds as well. If not by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we would be being tied up and, and thrown away into the, the fire that he has prepared in the parable on the last day. If not for the grace of God, we would be right there. So dear brothers and sisters, 
recognize that the same grace that you have been shown by Jesus is the same grace that they need to see from you. And finally, and maybe this one seems obvious, the warning here, don't join in. There are weeds and there are wheat in this world, and, and while sometimes they, they live together and it, it sometimes becomes difficult in order to, to see the differences, the differences are often plain. It, it's easy to sort of slip into the ways of this world, but, but the warning here is don't, don't even take the steps towards it. It's a heavy text. It maybe, maybe makes us a little, a little bleak about the world around us. But that is how seriously God takes sin. Go back to the second word of our reading today. The wrath. The wrath of God. Poured out on you? Absolutely not. No, the wrath that was meant for you and for me was poured out on Jesus himself. As Jesus hung there on the cross, we stare right into the, to the teeth of pure love and pure justice. As God takes every ounce of anger and hatred that he has for sin, and he says, I will not give that to you. I am going to give that to Jesus. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul writes for us, he says, God made him who had no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Look at that exchange. Our sins removed from us so that the anger, the wrath, and the punishment would be as far as the east is from the west away from us. That's the truth. We just read about how people exchange the truth of God for a lie. So let's take a little bit closer look at what the truth is. The truth is, brothers and sisters, that you have been fearfully and wonderfully made. That from the beginning of your lives, you were knit together delicately and intricately in your mother's wombs by God himself. Created, loved, chosen. And then he placed you in this world and he put the mountains next to you and he, and he gave you the trees and he gave you your brains so that every single day we could marvel in the great majesty, power, divinity, and wisdom that is our God. And then, on top of all this, he gave to us that conscience that lives inside of us so that we might try to get closer to him. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, that is the truth that we would never, ever want to exchange for a lie. The truth is that we do owe God our thanks and our glory, our honor and our praise. Why? Because there was a time when we were Satan's. Before we were brought in by the faith that Christ gave to us, we were Satan's. It's a mind-boggling thing to think about. But that's why we owe God praise. is because he destroyed the clutches of Satan and he said, no, 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 you are not his, you are mine. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, that, that causes us to want to give thanks and glory, and honor, and praise to our God. The truth is, we have an immortal God who does not change like the rest of this world, who in his changeless love and faithfulness to us supports, sustains, 
and redeems us. The truth is that our God has given us his commandments, the parameters that he has placed in this life, not in order to make your life more difficult or to make your life worse, but because he said, I know how you ought to use the blessing that I have given to you. Use it like this, and you will find fulfillment and joy and peace. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, it would be so easy to exchange the truth that we have about our God for a lie. But that truth is so sweet. It is worth everything to us. It is worth knowing better, learning more about, and clinging to all the days of our lives. There's coming a time where God is going to separate the wheat from the weeds. By grace, we've been called to be wheat. You've been given a truth that makes you different. Be rooted in that truth. Live in that truth. Be comforted in that truth. And allow that truth to guide you so that you can actually look forward to the last day when Jesus calls you home. Amen.